This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Interviews. We have with us Shabani Basu. Uh, she's a very well-known journalist, highly respected, a historian and um, has rights for The Telegraph from London, if I'm correct, and has written, is the author of uh, Victoria's, uh, Victoria and Abdul uh, for King and Another Country. All right. Um, could you, now the buzzword, this terrible word to use, the buzzword, is now almost overused and a cliche, um, is post-truth. And uh, with your writing, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of your journalism with Telegraph, and as well as your writing about Victoria and Abdul, in some senses also post-truth, mm-hmm. because you're dissecting what happened mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that it is a destructive force or is it something that is here to stay and we have to deal with it? What is your take on post-truth? Well, I think it's always been there. You know, we we have always dissected years after. So, I, I mean, it's a new fancy term, but I think we've always done it. That's, that's how histories are written. That's how histories are unwritten. You know, you dissect it and then you rewrite that history or sometimes you revise that history. You know, you have the revisionist view. So things are always being redone. So I think it's been happening for a long time. I think what is happening now is that, uh, well, in terms of just personally my work, if I am to talk about my books, Victoria and Abdul is a book about Queen Victoria and her relationship with the Indian servant she had, whose name was Abdul Karim. And nothing was known about Abdul Karim. And they were very, very close, so close that it caused a controversy, a stir in the court. And after her death, the first thing Victoria's son did was burn his letters. Burn all the letters Victoria had written to him, burn all the documents, make sure he was deleted from history, which is what happened. And... uh, well, then, you know, I knew a little bit about him and I've explored it further. I got back those documents. I retraced the story from other files, other accounts, and um, I read her journals, which they could not destroy. They couldn't touch the Queen's journals. And I read the Urdu journals. And then I found Abdul Karim's memoirs in Karachi, you know, locked up in a trunk with his family, unopened for over a hundred years. And that was something he had wanted to publish and could never publish because the household and the establishment made sure he could not publish it. So, you know, a hundred years later, I uncovered these things, which were actually sort of censored at that time, and I could bring it out. So that was very satisfying. Um, that's, but that's what historians do. I mean, that's, you know, that's our job, to go there, find these documents. It's very satisfying when something which was, you know, was deliberately hidden and deliberately deleted is then out there and you can go and use it. Um, in the context of journalism, that is also something that we're going to keep on. You know, events, big events happen, and then you do those anniversary editions of, you know, it is say 30 years of the Bhopal crisis and it's time to re-examine it, see what happened, remember, re-examine the, the 1984 riots you know, in, in Delhi and then you, you re-examine. Every anniversary I think is one point uh, when it, it gives you an opportunity to re-examine things. Um, I took the opportunity of the centenary of the First World War to go look at the histories of the Indians who went to the Western Front. Another story that was not covered at all. So this is done in my book, 
Fokking and another country, um, story of Indian soldiers on the Western Front. But, uh, can I interrupt you for a second? Um, looking at it journalistically, what we are also looking at, say you brought up the Bhopal tragedy, you brought up 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of lies and cover-up uh-huh. was done on both these. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And so that is the post-truth, that yes, when, yes, you, yes. when you expose mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. pretend mm-hmm. that uh, your belief... Mm-hmm is a fact. Your beliefs lead you to uh, make up facts Mm -hmm. or accept facts as put out by authorities Mm -hmm. when when they're absolute when they're absolute um, lies mm-hmm. and people want to believe what mm-hmm. they want to believe mm-hmm. and make it a fact mm-hmm. so when you re-examine the yeah. post-truths of these two incidents um, what do you hope to achieve in terms of do you think it's possible to make people change their minds according because they've come to those conclusions mm-hmm. believing mm-hmm. that they look for the facts that support their beliefs rather than the other way around, rather than looking at facts and then forming a belief. Mm-hmm. And that is why the distance is so important. As uh, you know, famous journalist Philip Knightley said, the first casualty of war is truth, and that will happen. When the conflict is actually on, when the situation is on, you're going to get so many versions, and one of the, those versions is going to be accepted, and another, you know, there will be a casualty of truth somewhere. So years from now, you can look back at it and uncover those stories, some forgotten voices which may not have been heard, re-look at the papers, look at the papers that may have been suppressed, and bring them out with, with the added advantage of the, you know, the years between, to give a more impartial view of, of events. As a journalist, do you see a kind of immunity to um, facts that are exposed, for example, um, now we've reached a stage where scandals are exposed mm-hmm. and there used to be a time where it's often quoted that uh, Lal Bahadur Shastri just resigned because there was a train collision and today all kinds of scandals are exposed. Nobody resigns, they're all Teflon, they go on. So do you think that re-examining and producing new facts as a journalist, do you think that that kind of post-truth has any impact at all? Well, it should have an impact, and if somebody did it seriously, it would. I could not talk about all the scandals in India because I, you know, I don't live here and I don't follow them that closely. I just we talk about the scandals in England. There are enough of those. There's enough. There's enough. I mean, we've had Brexit in England. I, that isn't a scandal, but uh, you know, it's something that we have to live with now and deal with later. And the way it happened is something that is being constantly examined. You know, politicians there. Um, just didn't know what they were doing. We walked into this trap and, you know, the people weren't informed enough. So all this examination, now we're in it. And now the whole debate is what what the terms are going to be and nobody knows what's going to happen. So it's all a very confusing scenario. Everyone is examining it as it goes on. And then years from now, we will be examining it, you know, all over again. I mean, take Trump, you know, or how... This whole election was won, this whole farce about the CIA and, the, you know, whether these documents were leaked, everything that happened. We've just got half-truths. Every time you get half-truths. And yes, from now, we're going to get the full truth of 
everything that happened. So we have to live have in to an era of post-truth absolutely. because the lies yeah. are being propagated in such yeah, a way. Yeah. And even as we live in that era, there'll be more half-truths coming out. So uh, it is it is a whole process, I'm afraid. But it's not something new. It's I think it's been happening for years and years. And uh, I do feel that... And now it has a label. It has a label. And the, pro- and the thing is that now because of social media and everything else, a s- the smallest of half-truths is multiplied a million times over. So, you know, it is very easy to spread a lie in this generation. How dangerous do you think it is for, for intellectual thought, for informed citizens? How dangerous do you think this phenomenon is? It's very dangerous. If you don't have a filter, it's very dangerous. And... You know, I would say a lot of people don't have that filter. They just take what they... They don't even read newspapers anymore. They will pick up, an, you know, something on Facebook, and that would have been sent to them because those people believe in that particular viewpoint, and they will read that and think that's the truth. There is absolutely very little filter, and that is the problem. Thank you very much, Ab. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.